Well, good morning, everyone. Let me uh, pray for us before we start. Father, thank you for gathering uh, every one of us here into this place right now this morning. Um, Thank you for gathering us from the places that we have found ourselves uh, physically, spiritually, emotionally, from the year that we just had. Thank you for gathering us from all of the things that we are in the present facing or thinking about for the future. You know why every one of us is here. You know what every one of us needs more deeply than we could ever dream. And so we ask now that as we talk about your word and hear it and think about it and meditate on it, that you would meet us in the places where we are in the particularities of each of our own lives. Those of us who feel strong in faith and those of us who feel weak in faith and those of us who don't feel that we have any faith at all. Meet us and show us Jesus' grace, your goodness, your mercy to us, and change us by it. And we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Well, as uh, we have sung and seen and read, uh, we are observing Epiphany this morning. Now, uh, Epiphany was actually yesterday, and here in Chicago, in lots of parts of the city, it's more commonly called Dia de los Reyes. Uh, Forgive my Spanish, that means King's Day, uh, because it's traditionally the day that's associated with the arrival of the Magi in Bethlehem uh, to worship Jesus, like we heard in the Gospel lesson this morning. And we uh, often celebrate Epiphany in the Baker household uh, by making paper crowns and then decorating them. And like lots of our neighbors, uh, in our neighborhood in particular, by eating a special cake that has a plastic baby hidden in it. Uh, And our particular family tradition is that whoever gets the peace with the baby in it gets the privilege of moving the three wise men who have been for all of Advent way over on the other side of the living room, away from the manger, that person gets to move them over in front of the manger while the rest of the family sings We Three Kings. It is uh, our tradition, and we love it, and for us it marks the end of the Christmas season. But you know, of course, there is more to Epiphany than eating cake and moving little wise men around the living room. Epiphany means to show or to make known or to reveal. So on the one hand, Epiphany looks back to the incarnation of Jesus, this thing that we have just spent a season celebrating. It looks back to the incarnation of Jesus as a way that God has made known to the whole world what he is going to do to redeem his people and his world. It's a way of looking back. I mean, think about it. When the Magi bow down and worship Jesus, it's this beautiful little localized snapshot of what God's intention for the whole world is. The, the light of Jesus is not just for one people in this one particular land right by the Mediterranean Sea. It is light for the whole world. As the Apostle John says, the true light which enlightens everyone was coming into the world. But on the other hand, Epiphany also looks forward. It is about our place in that story, your place, my place, our church's place in the story of what God's doing in the world. 
I mean, the Magi worship Jesus, and they're never the same again. And they leave that place, and they take that light out into the world. And that's our vocation, too. We are called to reflect the light of the Incarnation out into the world. And that's why I'm glad we're looking at Isaiah 60 this morning, because Isaiah 60 is both about the light of the glory of God rising on his people, and it is also about the inevitable radiating glow of glory reflecting out from his people into the world. So let me read Isaiah 60 for us, verses 1 through 7. You can follow along where it's printed in the order of worship or in a Bible, or you can just listen as I read from Isaiah 60. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth, and thick darkness the peoples, but the Lord will arise upon you, and his glory will be seen upon you, and nations shall come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising. Lift up your eyes all around, and see, they all gather together, they come to you, your sons shall come from afar, and your daughters shall be carried on the hip. Then you shall see and be radiant. Your heart shall thrill and exult because the abundance of the sea shall be turned to you. The wealth of the nations shall come to you. A multitude of camels shall cover you. The young camels of Midian and Ephah, all those from Sheba shall come. They shall bring gold and frankincense and shall bring good news, the praises of the Lord. All the flocks of Kedar shall be gathered to you. The rams of Nebaioth shall minister to you. They shall come up with acceptance on my altar, and I will beautify my beautiful house. This is God's word, and it's given for our good. (laughs) The joyful shout and... The sound of weeping. The joyful shout and the sound of weeping. That's how the book of Ezra describes this moment in the history of God's people. This moment that Isaiah 60 speaks into. The joyful shout and the sound of weeping. We talked about this together a few times, a handful of times in December as we looked at Isaiah through the season of Advent. This part of the book of Isaiah addresses a time after God's people had returned from many long, dark years of exile. They were back in their land. They were back home. And so you could be forgiven, I think, to figure then that this moment in the common life of God's people, in this part of the book of Isaiah that addresses that moment, that it would be filled with joy and that it would be filled with happiness. But of course, that wasn't the whole story. Yes, God's people had come home and that was good, but they were kind of like strangers there. Their houses and their livelihoods had been taken away while they were gone, and now they have to do the physically hard, the demanding physical work and the emotionally difficult work of rebuilding everything that was lost. They were home, yes, and that was good, but they weren't the same people anymore. They had been tempered by loss and by separation. 
They were home. But they were aware that they were fewer in number than when they had left. Fathers and mothers and sisters and brothers had been separated. Some had fallen prey to violence. So they were home, and that was good. But they were not yet whole, and they felt that. And so the end of the third chapter of Ezra captures this bittersweet moment, and I mean that word in the fullness of it, both bitter and incredibly sweet. Ezra captures that moment perfectly with this picture of a particular day, this day when the foundations of the temple that had been destroyed when they had been carried off into exile, the foundations of the temple had been rebuilt. And Ezra tells us about this day when all of the exiled people from Jerusalem, the former exiles, they come together and they see these foundations to celebrate, and absolutely some of them cheer and some of them celebrate. But some of the other people who were there, the older ones, the ones who were old enough to have seen or known about the first temple before it was destroyed, the ones who were old enough to account for the loss that had happened, they could not celebrate. Ezra tells us that they wept while the others cheered. He said you couldn't distinguish the sound of the joyful shout from the sound of the people's weeping. A time of happiness mixed with sadness. A taste of glory, a taste of restoration, a taste of newness mixed with this taste of loss. Happiness over promises that are kept, joy over promises that have been kept, but an awareness that things are not yet as they should be. The already and the not yet. In other words, real life. <laughs> life like you and I live it every single day. Epiphany life. With the glorious light of Christ's coming into this world behind us and a task in front of us and very real life happening all around us. And it is into that moment, it is into those bittersweet years that the prophet speaks to the people and he says, Arise and shine, for your light has come and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. This is from the prophet an invitation to get up. And we have to hear it as precisely that. Get up from whatever you are in the midst of doing. Get up from whatever it is that you are in the midst of feeling. And open your eyes and lift up your heads and look and see what is happening all around you. He's telling them this long night has finally passed and the sun is blazing in the sky with all of its brightness and all of its warmth. But you will never see it with your head down. And you know, I think that is a really good word for me and you too. We've just come through this season of remembering that Jesus came as one of us to us in order to redeem us, in order to remake this world, in order to establish justice and peace to begin a new creation. We have just come through the season where we remember that and where we've celebrated it. 
We've said to each other that it's the truth around which all of reality coheres. We have reminded ourselves that it is our true hope in this world, that it is the best hope for the broken world. We've confessed it and sung about it and prayed about it. We've given each other gifts to celebrate it. We've laughed. We've traveled. We've slept in. We've done all of the good stuff. But it's easy to slip back into whatever that thing is that keeps our head down. In the bitter and the sweet. For some of us this morning, maybe it's just a sense of fear and foreboding. For some of us, maybe it is a worry about the future that seems uncertain. For some of us, it just may be that pervading cynicism that exists not just in our culture, but in our own hearts. For others of us, it may be just a grinding resignation about things that don't seem like they'll ever change, or maybe it's a feeling of despair, or maybe it's that appetite that we all seem to have for being distracted. Or maybe it's the appetite that we all seem to have for being too busy in our school, in our work. And we slip into that thing, and we slip into that web of things, and we forget the good news, and we forget the truth, and we forget the hope, and our head goes down. So just think for a second. What is that thing for you? What is that set of things for you? that drags your head down into forgetfulness, into not being mindful. Just think about that thing for a second and then hear this. Hear this as an unqualified and winsome invitation to look up and see what you could never see with your head down. Arise, shine, for your light has come. And the glory of the Lord has risen on you. If you're one of those people who likes to make resolutions at the changing of the year, then let me suggest that this would certainly be a really good resolution. That is to make space every day, to make space in your life every day, to lift your head up and to remember the good news of the gospel to meditate on it for a few minutes, to pray over it for a few minutes, to remember the gospel and to think about what it means for you and what it means for the people that you love and what it means for your work and how you go about it and what it means for what you do with your free time and what it means for your giving or for your service. What does it mean for this broken world around us? What does it mean for our neighbors? Make space every day to do that. I I promise you, I promise you that that will make a difference in the living of your life. It will make a flesh and blood difference in the way that you walk through this world. Isaiah goes on, he just piles up all of these images of light and darkness. 
He paints this picture first of a world that's gone dark. He says it covers the earth. A thick darkness covers the people. And then out of nowhere, this tiny spot of light dawns in the horizon and it begins to grow. And then he tells them, here's where that light is coming from. God himself is rising on you. It's coming from God. And it's good to remember that this is as true for God's people now as it was for God's people then. Their moment in life, that bittersweet moment in life, is very much like our bittersweet moment in life. Whatever it is that we're facing now, whatever it is that we are feeling now, whatever it is that we're suffering now, whatever it is that we are questioning now, fearful over, church, we are not doing any of those things in darkness but in the light, in the light of the gracious presence of Jesus. And I don't think I'm saying that in a naive way. I don't mean that in any kind of naive way. Because, yeah, the, the brokenness in this world is real. It's all around us. Our city is violent. It continues to be carved up by those who would perpetuate violence. There's poverty around us, injustice around us in the world, everywhere we look, on our very streets, on our blocks, maybe in the house next to where we live. Yeah, those that we love, they battle with unhealth, sickness and disease. We struggle with difficult and painful relationships that are breaking or broken that seem like they can't be restored. Some of us live every day with the pain of abuse in our past. We struggle to be the parents, the friends, the spouses that we want to be. Some of us made resolutions seven days ago that we thought would be really good and we've broken them. So yeah, sometimes you cannot tell the difference between the joyful shout and the sound of the weeping. We live in longing for something more. And church, every one of those things, every one of those things, the good and the bad, from the greatest of them to the least of them, are completely, completely bathed in the light of his glory and grace and goodness to us. They are covered in light. Our lives are the intense subject of God's greatest work. He is furiously devoted to the good and flourishing of his people. So look up. Look up and see that the sadness and the joy, they are both bathed in light. God knows. He knows what's happening in your life. And he is making it new. And Isaiah knows this, and he says these incredibly audacious words to these bedraggled people. He says, nations will come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising. I mean, just think about that in the context of their lives. They're, they're back home. They're sifting through what remains of their common life, of their personal lives. They're just trying to get through life, let alone do something great. And Isaiah tells them that a day is coming when nations and kings will stream into Zion, when those silly ruins 
will become the focus of the world. And that's what the rest of Isaiah verses 60 verses 4 through 7 is about. It's Isaiah stroke by stroke painting this elaborate portrait of what God's intentions for his people are. The language is amazing and it's poetic and it's filled with metaphor and it points beyond those physical moments, those physical years to this thing that we learn from Jesus is called the kingdom of God. But the bottom line of what he says to his people is very simple. God's people reflect his light to the watching world. And the watching world will be drawn to him through them. The light that shines on them will shine out from them into the world. Isaiah uses the image of pilgrimage and the image of tribute to talk about this. First, there's this pilgrimage. People from all over the world are magnetized by this light and they come to it. He says things like they're all coming together. They're all coming to you. They'll come from Midian and they'll come from Ephah and they'll come from Sheba and Kedar and Nebaioth and Tarshish. This is Isaiah's way of saying they're going to come from every corner of the globe to you. And when they come, they will not come empty-handed. This is the language of tribute. They'll come with these treasures. They'll come with the things they're known for, their specialties, the best camels from Midian and the best sheep from Kedar and the rams of Nebaioth will minister to you. And they'll bring silver from Tarshish. And yes, they will bring gold and frankincense as well. And if you hear that and it makes you think of the the Magi and the gifts they brought to Jesus, then believe me, it's no coincidence. That is a snapshot of the deep truth of Isaiah's words. And in no doubt, what was one of the sweetest and dearest of those images, Isaiah tells God's people that their own sons and daughters will be carried back when the nation comes. When the nations come, he says, their children will be carried on the swinging hips of those nations as they make their way to Zion. He says, then you'll see. And you'll be radiant. And your hearts will thrill and exalt. In other words, things that you never thought you'd see. Restoration that you never dreamed could ever happen, it will happen in and among and around God's people. Just a few months ago, it may have even been in November, I remember talking about how much I love looking at the skyline of our city. And when I did, you might remember I talked about a couple of the spots that I like to be at to look at our skyline. And I'm sure lots of you have favorite places to look at the skyline of our beautiful city. But all of us know that the best views of the city, the ones that are great any time of the day, they become absolutely heartbreakingly compelling when the sun is on them. When the sun moves over to the west and the entire skyline is burning with that shimmering orange fire, you just have to stop and stare because it's magnetic. Heartbreakingly compelling. 
And that church is exactly what Isaiah is saying about the light of God when it lays heavy and glorious and bright on people like me and you. It is deeply compelling, and you can't take your eyes off of it. It is a sight for sore eyes looking for light. And I can't think of words that would have been more meaningful to people who were living in that bittersweet moment of the joyous shout and the sound of weeping. I mean, what more could you say? What more beautiful thing could you say to those who live in the already of the coming of that light and the not yet of looking for things to be set right forever? (laughs) Church, God's not telling them, hey, the people are going to come to the brightness of your rising because somehow... You have figured out how to put the pieces of life together. (laughs) He doesn't say, look, they're going to come to you. They're going to find you so compelling because you've stopped suffering or you've stopped struggling with whatever that thing is you struggle with or because you have it all together or because you're really good at your jobs or because you're really good spouses or friends or parents. No, he says, you will be a compelling people in the midst of your suffering and in the midst of your sadness and in the midst of your concern and while you struggle because you are bathed in the light of the glory of God. Bathed with the presence of his grace, not because they earned it, but precisely because they never could. And now that grace is changing them into the people they were destined to be. Church, that is the good news of the true light of Jesus that came into the world. Isaiah saw it with the eye of faith, and we are completely, completely bathed in it. This, I think, was what Jesus was getting at when he said to his people, you are the light of the world, and a city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. The light the watching world sees reflected in God's people is his light. And as we, as you and I, live lives of repentance that are ordered around that grace, the result is inevitable. We are changed by that grace. We begin to seek the good and the flourishing of other people before our own good and before our own flourishing. We become people who are gracious and willing to forgive and quick and happy to admit that we have been wrong. We seek justice and we love mercy and we love our neighbors and we love our enemies and we pray for the people who hurt us. We become open-handed with everything we have our time, our money, our talents. This is the kind of change that the Apostle Paul was talking about in the New Testament lesson that we heard. We all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into that image from one degree of glory to another. Church, these are the kind of people that this broken world is thirsty for. These are the kind of people this broken world is hungry for. 
These are the people that Jesus is making us to be. Arise, shine, for your light has come. Let me pray for us. Father, help us to hear and to see and to believe. To believe that you have loved us exactly the way that you have said you have loved us. That you have in Jesus given us everything. That he has risen with healing in his wings. And that we are the objects of that love. Help us to hear, to see, and to believe. And to go even further to believe that we, even though we find it hard, are the ones that reflect your light and love out into the world and give us the strength to be who you have called us to be. Do this for our good. Do this for the good of the broken world around us. And we pray it in Christ's name. Amen.